You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. The sermon text today is from Acts 13, verses 13 through 28. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, but John left them and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for people, you can speak. Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors, made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about forty years he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David the son of Jesse to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out all my will. From this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. Before his coming to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now as John was completing his mission, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one, but one is coming after me, and I am not not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race, and those among you who fear God, It is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. This is God's word. You may be seated. Any kids elementary age and younger can be dismissed to go upstairs. I didn't put on the lawyer thing. You got that? We got. I'm mic'd up this time. I'm not doing the lapel. So, oh well. As long as everybody can hear me, it's plenty of space. I'll be loud. Um, good morning. I'm Chad, um, one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us, we'd love to to meet you after and learn more about you, introduce you to the church and who we are. This is our first time in this new space, and we're overjoyed to actually have the first service here. All of those who are used to coming in and setting up chairs and setting up all of the sound equipment and all that fun stuff and seeing people running around to the last minute with, of course, it wouldn't be set up for King's Cross if we didn't have sound problems or video problems already this morning. So we did get do a few of those already, but at the same time, what a blessing to not have to walk through all of that. Um, I'm thankful to be with you this morning and looking at Acts and continuing to look at Acts. And we're in chapter 13, which is uh, Paul and Barnabas starting their first of uh, their missionary journeys. They were sent out from Antioch. But in particular, this Sunday is Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Passion Week. It's the week that Christ came to, uh, came to Jerusalem. He enters Jerusalem to begin the week leading up to his death and resurrection. Uh, his death on Good Friday, which is this week, and the resurrection we celebrate on Sunday, 
Easter Sunday. We're going to be here in this space. How exciting. And when Palm Sunday came, and we know if you're familiar at all with the the story, Jesus comes into town on his donkey, and everyone is yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king's here, praise the king. They're laying out these palm branches. That's what we call Palm Sunday. A very typical way to lay and cover the ground so that as that ruler or the one being honored is coming in, they have something to come on rather than the dirt path, and he's riding the donkey, being celebrated as the king that comes in to conquer and be their Messiah. They've heard about Jesus at this point doing so many things, um, so many miracles, speaking so many amazing truths that they've never heard from God's word. And so they think from scripture correctly, and they've heard this is the Messiah. The problem is their expectations for the Messiah didn't line up with what he came to do. And so very quickly at the end of the week, it goes from Hosanna, Hosanna, praise the king, he's here, to let's kill this guy. I mean, people are fickle, but that's a quick turnaround. And it's a dramatic move. Why is it that they looked at Christ and who he was and were celebrating him, yet so quickly decided, yeah, we got to get rid of this guy? And what's interesting about the story that we're in now with Paul is they're beginning their, Paul and Barnabas are beginning a a journey through their first missionary journey. We have a map of that. It's going to be fun. We're going to show you that too. Uh, But they're starting their first missionary journey and they're heading out to carry the story of this Jesus that people rejected. They're coming to tell the story of this king that came and that they put to death. And the story is really that this king Jesus came for a purpose that was greater than anything they expected him to do, but it didn't line up with what they were looking for. Aaron alluded to this earlier where the king, they were expecting the Messiah might overthrow Rome, might bring more power to the religious rulers that are in Jews. Maybe he was coming to to make their life a little bit better and freer because they're under the oppression of this country. But whatever it was they were looking for, he wasn't bringing that because God had something far greater that he was accomplishing in Christ. See, from the very beginning, we look at this world and we can see that it's just broken. I mean, somebody goes into a school with a bunch of kids and shoots up nine-year-olds. I mean, my son's nine. A pastor lost his child. If you didn't see in Nashville that someone would choose to walk in because they're so grieved, so pained, so hurt that they want to take some others with them. That this life is not giving them what they're looking for. And so they're looking for a relief, a release to end it. And yet not just to end it, but to bring suffering and pain to others. Some of us live with the ever-present reality of the brokenness in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our families. The sickness and disease that affects us in our life. All those things that go far beyond just a simple fact of relieving the Jews from Roman oppression. See, see, Jesus was set for total and complete salvation to restore everything that was lost and broken in this world. And it wasn't going to happen just by making sure that the Jews didn't have Rome in charge. He moved into that city. He walked on into that city. He rode on that donkey to be a conquering king that was going to conquer all heaven and earth, to destroy sin and death. And to make a way for all people to follow after him. That he would die that death for us that we so rightly deserve. Yet to take on sin for himself. 
and conquer it in his resurrection so that all of earth would be restored to what's called shalom. See, salvation in Christ is not just physical. It's not health. It's not, it's not wealth. It's not the things that we want to see in this world materially. And it's not only ethereal and spiritual, some just better feeling about life. He's rather, in the end, we see restoring all things new. And that wasn't the message they were looking for. And what's, what's important to see about Paul and Barnabas is they're carrying that conquering king's message to a new and Gentile world. They're bringing this message of a king who came and died rejected by his people because he wasn't what they wanted, what they were looking for. That's what they want. They just don't know it. You ever get, you ever have a situation where people just don't know what's good for them? That's, the, that's like on steroids here. You see that a lot with kids. We're just way too much like children. I'll be honest with you. Come on. We want the vanity. C.S. Lewis talks about this, that it's almost like we don't realize the glories of Christ, like it's a holiday. When you're, when you're fancy and you're from the UK, you use terms like holiday. I say vacation. But he says a holiday at the sea, and we're just content to play in the mud. See, the Jews didn't realize what he was coming to bring. And now that he has done what he's done, that Jesus came in on Palm Sunday and conquers death and makes a way of salvation, Paul and Barnabas are sent out as we follow through Acts. In chapter 13, we get here to carry that message out to the surrounding world that it's not just for the Jews, this is for all people. And they start their journey together and they do it in starting in verse 13 of chapter 13. They head out, and I'm going to read that passage here. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Pisidian, Antioch. Now, this is a different Antioch that we talked about before. Actually, it's interesting. There's like 16 or 17 Antiochs that got named. It's like Greenville in the U.S. They're everywhere. Fun fact, I think every state in the nation has a Greenville even in Hawaii. I looked it up. Okay? So, so Antioch was named after this guy who was in charge, his dad, so he wanted to honor him, and there's like 16 of these. So they travel from where they were in Antioch. Remember, Antioch sent them out. They go across to uh, Pamphylia, Perga and Pamphylia, which is like 100 miles ship by ship. 100 miles. At that time, you're not going on like a cruise ship or a passenger ship. You're paying for a cargo vessel to carry you. Okay, so they're going on this cargo vessel. They're like 100 miles sailing by ship. They get to, to Perga, and they're about to trek north to Pisidian Antioch. Go to the next one, the map here. You can see their journey. They, they've come from here. They've sailed all the way to here. They've hiked in 12 miles to Perga, and they've yet got another 100 miles up to Antioch. Now, they are, this is interesting because I just read a verse, and it just described that 200-mile trip. Okay. It's just like passing, okay, and then they went there. Yeah, just, they hiked 100 miles, okay? So here, here's what we need to look at. There's a little line in here that kind of passes by really quickly, but, but it's very significant for the story of a particular character here, and that's John. It says, when they got to Perga and Pamphylia, John left them and went back to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know why. It doesn't indicate why. It doesn't tell why. We can do some assumptions but for some reason, it was not agreeable to Paul, and he just abandons him. Later on in the story, Barnabas wants to take John Mark, that's his name, John Mark, on another trip. 
And Paul says, no. As a matter of fact, in Acts 15, we'll read it later. He says that they should not take along this man who deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on into the work. Now, what we can actually infer a little bit is for some reason he didn't want to make the trek. Now, I understand not wanting to hike 100 miles. Anybody else? See, John Mark stayed with him here in Cyprus. This is Barnabas' hometown. He's got family. He's got friends. He's hanging out. He's being their leader. He thinks this is a good trip. Hey, I'm going to make this. He's, his mom is a Christian believer who lives in Jerusalem. Actually, we understand her to be a well-to-do woman. She's fairly wealthy. But they took a 100-mile trek, and they did it specifically avoiding the Roman roads. They didn't go on the Roman roads. which would have been an easier pass. Now, the only indication they have historically that they can see why they might have done that, they went through a valley that was much more difficult to trek for 100 miles, was because all along that path were little towns of Jewish communities. And so if you can imagine you're a traveler of 100 miles walking, you are dependent on people who can provide supplies and shelter for you along the way. And so they're having to take the harder path to go 100 miles, but to do it so they can trust in the supplies and the hospitality of these Jewish communities that were between Perga and Antioch. And for some reason, Mark doesn't want to make the trip. Rather, he goes 300 miles back to Jerusalem, back to comfort, back to mom, back to home. And what Paul says is abandons them. And all too often, I think even the theme that we see here that Paul tries to draw when he begins to lead to the gospel with this community is indicated in John Mark that when things get hard, when things get tough, when things get difficult, our temptation is not to trust in the Lord and continue to follow after him. When Paul starts his message, he is literally going through and showing the community of faith how God's been faithful, God's been faithful, God's been faithful to a faithless people. Ultimately culminating in Christ. That in Jesus, he sends his son faithfully and he still gets rejected. And Mark stands at the beginning of this passage as someone who demonstrates for us what it looks like to lose faith. And though most of us would not affirm this kind of gospel, it is a way in which we often live what's something of a prosperity gospel. We hear, and I'm tempted, we make phrases like how easy it was to get into this building. This week didn't feel super easy, by the way, but it was a pretty straight and smooth path. And maybe you find yourself from time to time, when things are easy, you're like, the Lord must be leading this direction. And when things get hard, well, I guess he closed that door. There was multiple times this week God closed the door on me, apparently. Because when difficulty comes, it's not Christ necessarily shutting that door, but sometimes it's just the enemy trying to deter you, trying to discourage you, trying to move you away from him. And all too often we fall victim to that and believe that God's not enough. That we can't trust him, that he doesn't want our best. That sometimes we live like there's actually a gospel that says, if you follow me and you have enough faith, everything's going to be smooth. And Barnabas and Paul saw that John Mark didn't have the confidence to follow when it got tough. But we know that Paul persevered, and if you look at his life, the story is quite the opposite. They went through trials, through snake bites. As soon as, you, as, soon as a snake shows up, I'm not, I'm, the trip's over for me. 
shipwrecks, multiple stonings. I mean, you're talking about a closed door. As soon as people pick up rocks to throw at me, I think Jesus closed this door. I'm just going home. <laughs> but through it all, Paul starts his message by saying, look how faithful God is. We can trust him. And my encouragement to you is this, that we can trust the faithful kindness and goodness of God no matter the circumstance. The, the, the darkest trial that there is, believers, listen, trust and faith is not just a way of salvation at the gate, it's throughout all our life. That God is continuing to lead us to trust him more. To have confidence and faith that his goodness is true. That his faithfulness is real. And that when trials show up, he is there with you. But in the stories that Paul reads that I want to walk through with you, he shows where God's faithful kindness was shown to a people who were faithless. And that we are tempted in the same way to show that kind of lack of faith. So rather than place our trust in God, in Christ, to place our trust in the things of the world. The first one is that they were trusting in the world's comfort and security. Israel and Egypt, look at verse 14. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading the law and the prophet, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, have you any word of encouragement for the people you can speak? This is the beginning before Paul's sermon that he shares and he actually is invited to speak maybe he knew somebody maybe it's a little bit of open sharing time in the sabbath but they made a habit of going into the tabernacle to uh to worship in the synagogue and so they're invited to speak and this is where paul starts paul stood up in motion with his hands and said fellow israelites and you who fear god listen by the way this means this is for everybody israelites are jews people who fear god are usually gentiles that still believe in the jewish god the God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors, made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. Now, that phrase kind of bites. For about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. It actually is the weight of bearing with them tolerating them, supporting and caring for them in spite of themselves, essentially. And the story that we see from he's communicating is actually very common homily. It, it's, it's a very common homily that they would have been familiar with rereading their history. That, that Israel, God chose our people and he prospered us in the land of Egypt. Look at, look at all the verbs and who's the action. Hey, you guys remember going back to grammar every time I Who's the one doing the action? God chose them. God prospered them. God led them with a mighty arm. And he put up with them in the wilderness, caring for them. He destroyed seven nations and he gave them their land. He's the one that's caring for his people. And the whole time when they're in Israel, they're doubting his goodness. Why? Because they're in slavery for 400 years. Hey, I don't want to release. I don't think we should remove the weight and be very trite about the challenges and burdens of this life. And for me to say you need to trust God can be a weighty thing. Can you imagine your family's been in slavery for 400 years and someone shows up and said all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and called according to his purpose? 
Just throw a verse out there. Hey, it's going to work together. How hard is that? It's a faith that has to be built and ingrained, and they doubted, and I understand why. He seems absent, but God shows up. We did this sermon series in Exodus. He comes in, and he brings them out of the land of Egypt. He led them out with a strong arm. He demonstrated his power in the way in which he defeats the most mighty country in the, in the world at that time. And then he leads them in the nation in, in, into the desert. And it says in the wilderness, he gave them food, he gave them water, he gave them everything they needed. But every time he was uncomfortable, every time they began to get discontented, every time they were fearful, like when they were up against the Red Sea and they saw Pharaoh's army bearing down on them, they turned and said, why did you bring us out here to die? Just leave us in Egypt. They would rather go back to that 400 years of slavery than trust that he is doing what's best for them. And I, can we be honest? If, if you're a believer, it's likely if you haven't that you will be in that same situation in your life. That as you walk down this path of following Christ, you'll be tested. You'll come up to your Red Sea and it'll look like the army's bearing down. You won't know where the next meal comes from. You'll be wondering if, if you'll be able to find provision for your family. You'll be wondering if you'll be able to beat this sickness. You might lose a loved one. But what I can tell you is that comfort and security in this world is fading. But God's faithfulness is forever. But his kindness to his people is real. And though we may not understand it, one of my favorite phrases, we might not see his hand, but we can always trust his heart. So for 450 years, Paul starts out, God was faithful to his people, but they were consumed with the comfort and security they had in Egypt and, and struggled to follow after him. And when he led them into Canaan, even the first group that came to Canaan, all they saw were giants. Literally, God destroys Egypt, crosses the Red Sea with them, and then they get to see some really tall people, and they're like, we can't do this. Sounds silly, but I gotta be honest, we probably do the same thing. So God is continually faithful to these people, and he leads them. Paul goes on, and he goes to the next story in verse 20, where he says, all of this took about 450 years in verse 20, and after this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And this is the point when they were trusting in their own heart. But listen, God has led them out of Israel. I'm sorry, led them out of Egypt. He gave them the law in the, in the, at Sinai in the wilderness. And then he brought his people into their nation, into their inheritance, their land. And at that their point, he is, they're supposed to be governing themselves by the law. At that point, they were supposed to be governing themselves. But let me tell you, this is crazy times. Judges is a wild book. I mean, like the kind of like stuff we got on TV now, like, like I don't know, uh, the Game of Thrones has real, been, been real popular and violent and all that kind of stuff. It's probably got nothing on the book of Judges. I mean, you got, you got people stabbing really, really large men and losing their knife in their gut. You got, you got, you got ladies throwing, driving spikes through other guys' heads in tents. Okay, you've got all kinds of wild stuff. Big, strong dudes pulling down buildings on top of people and beating them up with bones of animals. This is just, 
It's violent. It's, it's wild. But what is significant about the book of Judges is while they are supposed to be following after God's law, the refrain throughout Judges is that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Not only the comforts and security of this world, but rather they trusted the guidance within their heart. I know what's best. I can figure this out. I know God might say to go this direction, but eh, I think this is probably better. I, there's a, a common theme of being authentic and being yourself and follow your heart, even today, and it's not new because they were doing it then. And what I don't want you to hear is that you should be fake and form to other people's expectations of you. That's not what I mean. But rather that you're not trusting after your own whims and desires that's changed like the wind. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? When we're trying to be our authentic selves, it was when I was growing up, it was the hipsters. But even though they were trying to be individual and different, there was like a thousand million of them in every city, all at the same coffee spot. <laughs> hey, it's cool style. Do your thing. Right? We are a people who conform. What I'm saying is rather than conforming to what the world says is what's it now? and following your heart's desire to be liked and loved and to seek after pleasures this world offers, that you can trust that God has your best intent, even if it seems different from all the rest. And so the people of Israel followed after and were given judges by God in this time. And those judges ruled over them. The judges came in with authority and they tried to determine really difficult cases and lead God people. But then it got to the end of that place. They got to the end of that time and they got to Samuel. And God's people following after their own hearts now looked to the world and said, we want to be more like them because we see powerful and successful nations around us and we want to have a king like they do. God has been their king to this point. God has been the one who has been their ruler. And God has from the beginning said, I will be your God, you will be my people. And they said, we want a ruler though because they have one. And so they were trusting in the world's power and success. In verse 21, they asked for a king. And what God responded with was, he didn't say, no, absolutely not. This is terrible. I'm judging you. You're done. It says he gave them Saul. Oh, you want a king? You want to go after power, success in the world? You want to have that kind of life? Here he is. Here's Saul. And Saul was a man's man. He was tall, attractive. All the ladies were like, oh, that's the king. Just saying. He was, he was powerful looking. He had everything it was. I listened to a, um, a Navy SEAL uh, giving a testimony at one point. <clears throat> and he talks about that he got into his class. It's called BUDS. All right? Everybody familiar with this? When you go through SEAL training. And he had one particular character, one guy, when they, when they went into, they had all these, I think it was 174 students. He said, by the time he graduated, there was 13 of them. Okay, 174 students. And the trainer said, you guys think you're tough enough to do this. Well, look to your left, look to your right, look in front of you, look behind. If, if you're the one that's still here, none of them will be. Do you think you're the one? He said, there was one guy in his class that was it. He was elite. He was, he was shaped, he was done, he was, he was naturally made for this, had everything going right for him. He said, if anybody was going to make it, 
this guy was. And he, he left her in the first week. This is Saul. Saul, if anybody was going to be king, it was Saul. But the problem is, he didn't have a heart after God. See, just like the man that's a seal in some respects, it's really the heart that's in the person that pushes them on, not the outward appearances. God says he looks not on the outside, but on the heart. And I'm going to give you what you think you want in the power and prestige of this guy, King Saul, and then you're going to see what that leads to. And so they wanted a king like other nations. They wanted someone powerful. They wanted strong. They got Saul. And in the end, he lasted for 40 years, and he totally just, he followed after his heart. He followed after other gods. He followed, he followed after other folks who, uh, he, he, he questioned God at every turn, and he led the people in really difficult times. And at the end of that time with, with Saul, it says this verse, after removing him, he raised up David as their king. See, David was this really kind of ruddy, small, not impressive side guy who was like watching sheep. Okay? He's the shepherd. You know, when they wanted a king, they're like, hey, let's get a guy who watches sheep. That's not what they were doing. But what scripture tells us is that David was remarkable, not because of his outward appearance, but because what it says in this verse that he was a man after God's own heart. That it's not power and success in this world that's going to lead you after God, but rather it's the heart and the direction that we're trusting in. That, that Saul was, for all purposes, someone on the outside that looked like he was the man for the job. And all of the people put their trust in that kind of power and success in this world, but then they saw it fall flat on its face. I mean we can be that tempted in that way even today. I mean, just to think that my career, the power, the success that's offered and whatever I'm pursuing might be the answer to my problems. Or maybe it's for you the, to go after and vote for the right party to put in place because if we can just change the laws the way I think they need to be, well, we could just get this place in the right path. And the problem is not that you go after those things in a way um, to pursue them. Pursuit is not the problem. It's the intent and it's the trust. Because when you're trusting in power and success, you compromise everything. You're compromising the way you follow after the Lord. You're compromising the way that you do it. To vote someone in at the expense of compromising others. To go after power and success in your, in your career at the expense of your coworkers, of your, of your witness, of your heart. If you're going after power and success, you know you're trusting after it when you're not showing the fruit of the Spirit at the same time. Because the Spirit of God is not leading you in it. You're not showing grace, kindness, humility, mercy. You're pursuing the passions of this world. But even in spite of the Israel that Paul's showing us, even in spite of Israel going after the comfort of this world, security in this world, following their own heart, following power and success, God keeps his promises. He is faithful to them. He gives them and he gives them. He gives them what they want in Saul to show them so they can learn, but ultimately he leads them to David. And that's where God begins to show his faithful kindness through the promised king. After removing Saul, he raised up David as their king and testified about them. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. So it's interesting that describing David in this way is that when it says a man after 
his own heart, he very quickly tells us what that means. It means to carry out all my will. It's a man who, who sees what God desires and follows after. Does it mean David's perfect? No. <laughs> Read the story. <coughs> you want an epic tale of intrigue and murder? Yeah, go read the stories of the Old Testament. Because David wasn't perfect. David was a man who failed regularly. But he never stopped trusting the Lord. Like he never followed after other gods. That's the distinction. That he wasn't like Saul and turning to, to people, to um, divinators and folks who were calling after other spirits and calling after things that were against God or God warned us about. Rather, he continued to trust God. When he failed, when he was confronted, when he was convicted, he turned to the Lord. That's why God said he was after his own heart. And through David and his faithfulness, we see from this man's descendants in verse 23 that as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. So Jesus is the one that was coming through David. And God was, in spite of Israel's unfaithfulness, continuing to show his faithfulness to him. He brought Christ, the promised one, the one that they celebrated, that came in on the donkey, the one that they threw down their palm branches for, the one that, that they celebrated as the Messiah came to them despite the fact that they continued to reject them. And Paul has said, listen, throughout years, throughout time, we have rejected everything that God has done for us. And even as they sent Jesus to us, we rejected him. That he wasn't enough for us. That though he was the promised king, we didn't see him for who he was. Look at that in verse 26. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race and those among you who fear God, it is to us that this word of salvation has been sent. And since the residents of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled their words by condemning him, meaning that Jerusalem and the rulers should have known who Jesus was, but they didn't see him. Instead, verse 28 says, they found no grounds for the death sentence and they asked Pilate to kill him. Guys, the... Um I might say I might say a little bit of loss of words, um, which probably is shocking for a lot of you. What I want you to hear, and we see this, and I, I don't I, I, I'm I'm, slow, I'm slowing down on purpose, and it's not this isn't in my notes. Um, really am at a loss of words. That God has been faithful to his people and he's faithful to this world. And when he sent Christ here in this passage we see that the man that he was was completely rejected by his people. And for us, 
if you're a believer, I think about this building, I think about where we are, I think about your faces, I think about the people who have put their trust in me and Aaron, and I think of how good God is. There's an absolutely no way that I can communicate to you the affection that that shows me in just this brief amount of time over these last weeks, the love he has for his people. (laughs) David's a man after God's own heart. I mean, at least he killed a bear and a lion. I don't know what I've done to deserve this. And all the reason that we're brought together is not because we have a really great, awesome place to meet and that you are, the, you are amazing people to hang out with, but it's not just because we'd all be friends outside of this space. We come together because of who Christ is. I mean, that Jesus is central to the story that Paul's trying to draw them to, that the loving kindness of God is absolutely demonstrated fully in the person of Jesus Christ. Like that's distinguishing us from any other faith. If you walk into another building right now and they proclaim anybody else but Jesus, that's not Christianity. I wish them well. And I love them to find who the real God is. But, but God placed Christ here so that he could show us his faithful kindness to us, his love in Christ. That, that he would enter into this really dirty, messed up world that we live in. I mean, why do people treat each other the way they do? Why do we do that to one another? It's it's, it's sin. It's brokenness. It's shame. It's evil. It's blindness. It's like Jesus looking out over Jerusalem and seeing the sheep without a shepherd. They don't even know what they're doing. They're doing it themselves. All because they're trusting in those things that he says they're talking about before. They're trusting in this world. They're trusting in comforts, trusting in their own wisdom. And then comes in Jesus. And he says, I want to show you peace and fullness in God. I want to show you the mercy and humility and kindness and grace that God has for all people. And they put him to death too. They found no death sentence and they asked Pilate to have him killed. Israel, the Jews wanted power. They wanted Rome to be gone. They were trusting in comfort. They wanted comfort. They said, you're not bringing that. You're gone. The people who were in charge of religious rulers, they saw Jesus as a threat to their power, to their security, to their control, to their rule. They said, you're gone. Pilate is mentioned in here. He was just fearful of a riot. Strength and power and rule and authority was held onto by a thread. And if those people were discontent and started a riot, he would lose control and probably be taken out of his office, if not killed. And so Pilate says, hey, I found no grounds for this guy to be killed, but if you want to, sure, let's kill him. Fear of men. And yet at the beginning of the week, we see when the large crowd saw Jesus coming to Jerusalem, They had taken palm branches to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They were celebrating the king that came in, welcomed him for all the wrong reasons. 
And for us, we have to follow the king and we have to trust him even if it doesn't meet our expectations. Even if our desires and our tendencies and really our natural leanings is to trust this world, we need to trust him to have our good. So if we're gonna do that, we need to repent and trust the king. See, it says here that after removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified him. That's verse 22. But what I want to draw our attention to is that when it says it's a man after God's own heart who will carry out his will, David was, was not a good dude. I'll be honest with you. Yet God used him. He, he, he literally saw another man's wife, put her took her for himself. Had, when she got pregnant, had her husband killed to cover it up and then brought her into his home as his new wife. Like you imagine, this is a story that's on one of your crime, like your, your, your murder mystery shows if you like to watch those things, right? What, what happened to this dude? He took another man's wife, had him killed to cover up, and yet God says in here that he's a man after my own heart. That's hard. But it's so encouraging. Because if David has hope, then there's nothing you can put your trust in that you can't repent from and turn back to God to follow after him. His grace is so much more efficient for us and sufficient. It's bigger than any sin we follow after. Through this man, the one who did what I just said, he promised him and brought through him Jesus. That's the one he chose. That's not to include all the rest of his family line, which included all forms of people. That's so, you know, lineages and family line was a really big deal back then. Anybody ever like looking up DNA stuff or looking up your ancestry.com or whatever? It kind of makes you proud, right? If you go in your family line and you see some shameful thing happening, like, I don't know, this guy, oh, I had a guy that went into a town and murdered everyone in town. Oh, that's nice. He's in my family. You're not celebrating those things. David was in Jesus' family line. Prostitutes are listed clearly in his family line. People that did all kinds of things were listed in his family line. And yet Jesus came willingly in that line to lay down his life for all of them. We just need to follow and trust him. And the fun, the great thing about this story is though it begins with John Mark leaving like we would be tempted to do, John Mark eventually returns back to Paul. See, in the center of this entire sermon, the center of his, of his message here, Paul says that John the Baptist came preaching repentance because that's what we need to do every day. To turn from what we've been putting our trust in to turning to the king. And in the end, John Mark does the same thing. So much so that even though Paul rejects him as someone who would follow him, in 2 Timothy 4, he tells uh, Timothy that only Luke is with him and he wants them to bring Mark because he's useful for me in ministry. Like Mark has abandoned me before, but now he's like, he is so special to me. And so like John Mark, we too not only can just, we don't have to, grovel in our failure, but rather turn and come back to following Christ, just like 
John Mark does. He follows Paul. He goes with him. He serves him. He's faithful to him. And in so doing, he's faithful to Christ. We don't have to trust in the power of this world. We don't have to trust in the comfort that this world offers. We don't need to trust in our own hearts and our own lives. We can rather trust in the king that rides in on a donkey to save the world. (coughs) Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, um, your faithfulness is above and beyond uh, our abilities, our strength, our wisdom. And uh, I, I only pray that inside of what time I've had this morning and that you've continued to work in our hearts to make it so much more clear to us that you are faithful to your people that you are a good and faithful God and that ultimately in Christ you've shown that to us. Where words fail me, Lord, you are sufficient. Lord, as John even preached that he must decrease so that you might increase, God, I pray that I would not be a stumbling block to the power of your spirit. Lord, that the wisdom that you give people is not from this world and from, from, from anything that we might say to one another, but rather it's your spirit that works in us and through us. And God, I pray that you teach us and lead us to follow you. Thank you for your kindness this morning. I ask this in Christ's name, amen.